there's something called regenerative travel. There's, okay. There's transformational travel, and I like to say regenerative tourism. That, okay. That's our goal, is to move to something regenerative, where sustainable tourism, people have heard a lot, and mm -hmm. that's sort of like do no harm. Yeah. Regenerative is, I'm actually going to improve a place mm. from my visit. You know, so it's, it's regenerative is, is giving back. It's making something grow and thrive. It's a holistic way of looking at travel. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 151 of the Camino Voice. Today, I speak with the PR and marketing manager for Whidbey and Camino Islands Tourism. Please welcome Sherry Wyatt. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they're going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 151 of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And I hope your guys' week is going well. We got, uh, we had some sun, we had some rain, we had everything in between. Um, but I hope you guys are getting out there and enjoying summer. We are now into the, well, when this releases, the second week of August, um, which is crazy. Um, but here we are. So, you know, we're already thinking about getting back to school and, and all that stuff as we're coming up on that. So, <sighs> yeah. Anyways, um, also, fun story, um, not really story, more just me thinking in my head. Um, I was I was about to record this episode, and I was like, I want to try a different voice for this, and so I did not, and so you're welcome, but that was in my head, and so I really wanted to try it. Um, so, uh, if you ever log in at some point, or you go to listen to this, and I have a really weird intro voice, um, you know what happened. Anyways, uh, also, real quick before I jump into this part, follow me on the Insta, uh, the IG, whatever you guys call it these days. Um, at the Camino Voice, I am really trying to post more, and I'm really failing at that. But um, here we are, and I want to keep promoting that because I want more people to follow me there. And if you can interact with me, that's even better because uh, then I don't feel like I'm just talking to a microphone uh, into the middle of nowhere. So without further ado, I get to speak with Sherry Wyatt. And Sherry Wyatt has a very varied, very varied, there we go, uh, <laughs> uh, background. Um, she has done a lot of stuff when it comes to marketing manager, or marketing, um, uh, lots of work in PR. She actually worked with wineries um, in Washington that really helped um, with wineries as well as ciders. Um, so ciders, she was kind of working in that field when ciders, hard cider became really a big thing, kind of made it big time. So um, fascinating background in all of these different industries. And now, um, and for the last uh, quite a few years now, her focus has been on uh, tourism for Whidbey and Camino Islands. Uh, uh, so she's put a lot of work and energy into that. So if you, if you live on Camino, you've probably heard the name Sherry Wyatt. You've probably seen her around because she is always promoting these islands. Um, but during COVID, we actually had the reverse issue where people weren't, uh, we weren't having trouble getting people to the island. We were having trouble keeping people off the island uh, and staying safe and not destroying the trails. So that has caused her to evolve once more and really focus in on 
this new thing that they're terming as transformational travel. So we're going to get into all of that and more and kind of the evolution of how tourism and all that has happened here on Camino and Whidbey um, and what we see as the future of tourism so that for generations to come, we have a beautiful island for them to enjoy. Um, so um, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, Sherry's just great. She's been a friend of the family for quite a while. Um, and we've known her, seeing her around. So anyways, excited to introduce you to her on the podcast. If you haven't met her, uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Sherry Wyatt. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the PR and marketing manager for Whidbey and Camino Islands Tourism. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry Wyatt. Hello, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to be here. Awesome. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Sherry. Well, I'm originally from eastern Washington. Okay. I grew up on a farm, and my brother and I still own the farm. It's really? about 30 miles north of the Tri-Cities. Okay. And I went to school at a small little country school and then on to Washington State University. So okay. I'm really from eastern Washington yep. originally. Nice. And moved to Freeland on Whidbey Island in 2007, so about 15 years ago. Okay. Fell, I fell in love with someone who was in love with the island, <laughs> and um, we moved over here and just started making our way and really have loved it. Nice. So uh, does your brother still live at the farm then? He does, yeah, and he, we've leased the property to okay. another neighboring farmer, nice. but he lives there and takes care of the homestead, and you know, we have a little vineyard and a few orchard, you know, cool. a few apple trees and things, so it's still very sweet. It's nice to go visit. Yeah, very cool. All right. What was it like growing up uh, in eastern Washington for you? Well, I think growing up on a farm really gives you a certain work ethic. Yes. You know, you're really not um, able to do all of the after-school activities either. Yes. So you have to come home and go back to work, you know, and you get up in the morning and you start working at the yeah. farm. So it, it teaches you um, sort of what's important in life. Mm -hmm. And I was able to own and ride horses and show horses and grow vegetables and flowers and have them at the county fair and, nice. you know, pick fruit and sell it at a little fruit stand. And I think there are lots of really, really treasured memories I have about that. Yeah. And I had a large family, so we all grew up together on the farm and okay. it, was a, it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Did you guys... Uh did you guys have like a farm, just kind of a bunch of different kind of randomized things? Were you more specialized and it was it just for your family or public? No, it was, uh, you know, 80 acres. So it's enough, oh, wow. <laughs> enough property to, to actually be, um, you know, commercial farming. Yeah. But we, we rotated the crops. So it was an irrigated row crop is what it's called. And, you know, you'd have alfalfa and then maybe wheat and then rotate to corn. And we had an orchard and vineyard, as I mentioned. And so it, there's plenty of activity and yeah. lots of always something in season and always something to harvest and yeah it was it was a good a good way to live and we also had cattle okay so and we had other properties as well where we had cattle um, and then they would come back to the the family farm we'd bring them you know for the winter and okay then they'd go back out on the range so nice was, yeah very cool so uh, going to did you go to school um, you went to school out there. Um, yeah. As you were going through school, was there, did you ever think um, you would continue be the farm, like taking it over or what was kind of your thoughts? You know, that's an interesting question because 
you want to get away from the farm. <laughs> Something about, you know, it's all romantic and all that, but then there's a part of you that's like thinking about Manhattan or Chicago mm -hmm. or wouldn't Paris be nicer? You know, you start this thing in your mind about, I've got to get as far away as possible. <laughs> and um, so I, I thought that I would leave mm -hmm. and, and, you know, become an attorney or a screenplay writer and, you know, had ideas of what my life might be like. Yep. And, and funny thing is, my first job out of college was back in the hometown, working at a newspaper, living at the farm. Okay. And I'm never, I never regret that yeah. because it, it's, there's a deep appreciation for home and yep. that kind of security and stability that it gives you. Yeah. And all the other stuff was still out there. And I did, I did hop around and you know, live in some of those great places, but um, there's always the farm. You know, can you come back to that where home is? Yeah. And that sort of keeps you grounded. Yep. Nice. So what, what did you end up going to college for then? Well, I studied communications. Okay. And um, public relations was my specialty. And I got very involved in the national level in the Public Relations Student Society okay. of America. And I became a district director and was a national officer. So we had meetings in Chicago and New Orleans and New York. And um, I really started, I had a chance to see some of these great urban cities and um, was really active in my in my school in my college. Yeah, I was part of the um, association student body. I was the PR director for the school <laughs> for the student body, <laughs> and then I was active in a sorority. And I was the standards chairman, and was an officer, and lived in the house. And you know, I was very you know Greek woman of the year, and nice. <laughs> all those things. Got really yeah. involved and, and uh, loved it. You know, yeah. I love to have lots of. Uh, burners on high, I guess, as my father would have said. She likes all the burners on high because <laughs> that's how you cook, right? <laughs> you keep, I love that description. Keep things moving, yeah. That's great. So, so when you finally got to go out and visit these big cities, stuff like yeah. that, uh, did they appeal to you or what did you feel? Definitely, definitely. And I imagined myself, um, you know, perhaps working at a large PR agency and had interviewed for a few and, and didn't hear back. And it was quite shocking because I thought, you know, with all my credentials and, you know, I should be so, so, um, they should be so lucky to have me is what you're thinking. And, and realized that, you know, it's really tough out there. Yeah. And it was a romantic idea to, to go in and live in Chicago by yourself and, and try to carve out a living. It wasn't necessary. Yeah. Know, there was another route for me. And I did end up living in Washington, D.C. Okay. And working for three years for the North American Export Grain Association. Okay. Kind of a, a lobbying outfit, and it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. We worked again in agriculture, though. So yeah. I was working for, for the grain export companies. Okay. The big, big ones, ADM, Cargill, Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. Um, learned a lot really fast and loved every minute of it. Yeah. And it was great to be a part of, of that, you know, time in the world and... And um, I, I don't regret that at all, but it wasn't the right place to stay. Yeah. It felt like, um, like you do it for a while and then you come back to Washington State. Yeah. And I was glad to come back home. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel, um, uh, being on the kind of the, whether that's the inside or just, just being exposed to that over and over, um, do you see kind of everything that's coming over the next couple of years when it comes to grain, fertilizer shortages, all that? Do you look at that differently as far as looking at it and kind of under, already understanding, you know, if you were working with the export, you were seeing it, how it all, that whole thing works. What are your thoughts on kind of how that's going? 
Well, you know, it's so much changing all the time. Yeah. And I think that's the key to being successful is being resilient and flexible and anticipating what's going to happen next. Um, I worked a lot with the grain traders okay. you know, in Wall Street. And, mm -hmm. and they were always, you know, the information was the most valuable tool. Any information they could get, even if it was the name of a person who had changed jobs, you know, it was really critical to know every little piece. And I think that's what helps you be successful is really, you know, staying on top of what's, what's true yeah. and what's really happening. Mm -hmm. um, and not just continually speculating or what if, or, yeah. you know, worrying, hoeing and humming, you know, really you have to find out what's really going on yeah. and, and stick to the facts. Yep. And that'll help guide you more, yeah. I think. Because yeah. there's always all sorts of stories swirling around. Well, and, you yeah. know, we didn't even have social media then. Right. Um, we had a fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, you know, like three of us of the photocopier and a fax machine, you know, running, you know, a pretty significant trade association. Um, but we did it with factual and relationships. Relationships were really valuable. Yeah. You know, and staying in touch with who was in the White House and, you know, who was the Speaker of the House and who were the key lobbyists and... Yeah. You know, just um, keeping those good relationships. My, my boss at that time taught me a secret. And when a friend of ours was fired, he said, you always take them to lunch right away because other people will shun them. And, but go take them to lunch. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And you had a good relationship. So why would, you, why would you not continue it just because you think they're of less use now? Right. You know, it doesn't work that way. That person ended up in the White House. Okay. So I was like, oh, that's, he's right. You know, just... <laughs> It's about relationships. It is. And staying loyal to people, even if maybe they've changed positions or they've you know, walked away from something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. That was always something um, I did. Uh, I, I've learned and admired about my dad. Um, my dad, I mean, my dad worked from, started with nothing and then um, has built a lot in his lifetime. But that was something when he would do these business trips, you know, especially when you do international. Um, the people that you're going to see always want to put that show on for you and kind of show you the best of what they have and, and just like, this is my empire, this is what I do. And my dad would always take such interest in the drivers that took us around or the keep the housekeepers or the, like he would always, it didn't matter what level you are within that person's company. He would take the time to sit down, talk with you, ask you questions, where are you from? And um, the times I traveled with him, it was always something that's like, he really doesn't, because he always relates more to them than he does the people that were at the top. Because, like, I, was, I started here. Like, this is where I was. Right. And so he always related with them better. And I always enjoyed that because you hear these really interesting stories and you get to hear their life. And um, You know, and some of the best ideas come from real people, mm -hmm. you know, really doing the work. And I was in a meeting at a restaurant with a, a boss of mine, and we had presented this beautiful marketing plan and we're very excited about it and he turns to the wait staff and you know brings them all over to see what they think and I was you know I was a little surprised <laughs> I thought well that's kind of thinking outside the box and, and it was just fascinating and I really admired that about him how he wanted to hear what real people thought not yeah. just what the marketing people think right you know been you know very very focused on on seeing this maybe in a you know, not in the the biggest picture, but yeah. in our own way, in our own fears, and whatever we thought we needed to do right. to make him happy. Yeah. He wanted to see what people really thought. So, yeah, I learned a lot from the people I've worked for. Yeah, you know, very cool. And so, I do. Your father is Jeff, and he's yes. awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. I'm a great admirer of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So then, uh, so you were working with the grain company or, and w- or with Grain Export. Uh, where did you go after there? Yeah, so um, before the grain exporters, I actually worked for the wheat growers in Washington State. Okay. And then headed on to Washington, D.C. So that was in like Ritzville, mm-hmm. wheat farming town. Then headed to Washington, D.C. and then came back and worked for a PR agency in Ellensburg. Okay. And their largest client was the Washington Apple Commission. Okay. So I grew very close with the people at the commission and started to, you know, I loved being in agriculture and in agriculture communications. And we were tackling some, some difficult challenges. Alar had just been a 60-minute story that, you know, farmers were using chemicals in the apple industry that okay. might be hurting children. And there was a lot of, um, you know, publicity about it that was negative yeah. publicity for growers. Yeah. So we were trying to combat that and come up with some, some smart strategies. And at the same time, the Department of Agriculture had changed the food pyramid and gave fruit its own category within the food pyramid. You may not even know what a food pyramid no, is. No, I remember, I just see, <laughs> it's funny, when I think of the food pyramid, I think of the side of like a, a wheat thins box. That's exactly. always the one I think of. Right, or a cereal box or yes. something, because grain is such a big one. Yes. <laughs> so it's always on the grain yes. products. But fruit got its own category. So so we went to work, and I got to use some of those, you know, Washington, D.C. relationships um, to create new programs that were, really like a school curriculum about apples and Mm -hmm. about fruit and about growers and farming Mm -hmm. and just, you know, tried to create more of a picture of what farming was and and not just make it be um, a negative thing, but more of a positive part of our our culture. Yeah. Um, And then with that, we created a foundation just for tree fruit. And so to help the farmers, the farm worker families and to help the... um, Oh, the warehouse workers' families that mm-hmm. had created scholarships and programs. It's called the Washington Apple Education Foundation. Okay. So I did that for seven years. And the person that I was working with, her name is Vicki, Vicki Charlotte. And she's just a powerhouse and had a lot of vision and brought me through through that and, and helped me, um, you know, really grow with the apple industry. And the tree fruit industry is a pretty powerful industry, really, in our state. Yeah. You know, it's the number one crop that's grown. And, right. And it, it's a pretty big deal, but... Anyway, we just, nice. uh, you know, apples were really important to me. I grew up with apple orchards. Right. So yeah. Just, it fit. So you ended up actually doing a stint as the executive director of the Northwest Cider Association, right? Yes. Yeah, that's get, true. So did that just kind of e- slowly evolve from what you were doing? Not exactly. It was okay. kind of like the perfect marriage of, of like a whole, my whole life was coming into focus. Um, what had happened was... Vicky moved on to the wine industry mm. and was working more with the wine grape growers. And they were, many of them were actually at that time taking out their orchards and planting grapes, okay. planting wine grapes with the vision that maybe that was the next big thing. And they were right. Yeah. And so I grew along with her into that industry and worked closely in the wine industry for years with her. And after that, you know, cider at that point was kind of quietly not really fully understood. Yeah. You know, it, it, there were only 10 people that were actually 10 um, cider companies that were part of the Northwest Cider Association. <laughs> and and David Bauermeister, who was the um, executive director of the Northwest Agriculture Business Center yeah. in Mount Vernon. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's still there. And um, he and I had gone both to Connell High School. We grew up in the same you know, part of the state and mm-hmm. kind of understood each other really well. And he said, you know, we've got this project. We'd like you to come in and, and see if you can help grow this organization. Okay. So we did immediately, and the timing was perfect. Yeah. So Angry Orchard had just really come on the scene. It was about 2012. Yep. It was about the year, so 10 years ago. 
and um, just ran with that and just ex exploded. It was the fastest growing, um, actually the fastest growing alcoholic beverage for sure, but it might have even been the fastest growing consumer product. Okay. It was actually outpacing the Apple phone. It was like <laughs> cider was just exploding. Yeah. And um, we were excited to see it grow and we're, got, you know, we're active in the Cider Institute of North America now and helped launch the American Cider Association and these other cider wow. industry pieces. Yeah, so I feel pretty good about that legacy and, yeah. and excited to see how well cider's doing. Um, now they have a full-time executive director. And so I was a consultant. So that's what I do. Okay. I, I float around. I should probably clarify that. I'm a contractor. <laughs> yeah. So I get to live many lives. Yeah. And even with tourism in the role I play now, I'm a contractor. Okay. So we don't have an office. We don't have employees. You know, we use, um, you know, the best people we can find to do certain tasks. Yep. So it seems to work well to build yeah. a team that way. And, you know, even before COVID, we were all working from our own offices from home. And, you know, so we were, we were ready. Yeah. We were already set up. Not too much change. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so cider was a, is a, is a great new, you know, offering. And I, I love how cider has evolved from just a blend of apples, but there's also single varietal ciders. Yeah. There's orchard designated ciders, just like you would see on a wine label with a vineyard name. You'll see an orchard name. Yeah. And it's great because it's yeah. giving that farmer more visibility. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole idea really is to tell a farmer's story. Yeah. Yeah, and the um, so we're actually looking at doing a cider fest. Hopefully, coming this fall. Great um, for Camino because there's a lot. And in our meeting, we were talking about there's a lot of um, large cider fest going on in the fall. Um, we've got uh, well, actual cider. What is that one? Cider fest, cider summit uh, that mm -hmm. comes in. Um, so, anyways, we're we're putting that together um, through your time as um, with working with the Northwest Cider Association. Though, did you at have you gone to many cider festivals and things like that? I have gone to many, okay. many. I've been very involved with the summits, and they grew all over, you know, Chicago and, and San Francisco, um, yeah. Portland. I watched um, Alan with his cider summits. And, yeah, I've been through a lot of cider cider fests, and, and there are some secrets, you know, to making them the most successful. And, and you know, happy to talk to you more about give you some ideas yeah. and some things we learned along the way. and. You know how to how to make sure that it's it's telling this the whole story about right. cider including the growing you know maybe having growers there with apple trees and mm -hmm. and fruit itself so people can see and taste and and understand um that it's not um you know it's not a red delicious apple that's making that cider yeah. it's, a, it's a it's almost an inedible bitter they call them spitters actually right because <laughs> you'll take a bite and spit it out <laughs> but it's there's a lot of uh, things you can add to a cider festival that makes it family oriented, right? Too, yeah. And not just a you know, a, let's all drink a bunch of cider. It's it can be a whole story. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Yeah. So then, um, <clears throat> how did you end up getting connected with uh, Island County or not Island County, but Whidbey and Camino Islands tourism? Yeah, so I was working mostly as a contractor again with the arts community and kind of came across this this position in the paper okay <laughs> in the classified ads and applied and it was just the perfect fit for me mm -hmm. it was 2010 so I've been on the, at this for 12 years and we've grown you know pretty rapidly um, into a, a, a larger organization it was just you know one person at that point now yep. we have five contractors and we've been able to kind of um, delegate pieces of 
you know, to expertise, to the digital webmaster person, to the graphic design mm -hmm. person, to the media relations, you know, expert, and to someone who helps with writing and research and, and then the role I play. So um, I think that it's just been a really exciting time to be in tourism. But, yeah. you know, COVID, <laughs> we can right. talk about that, was, you know, really hit the brakes and, and re-examine tourism at that moment. It was, it was, uh, it was really tough. Yeah. On, the, on the travel industry worldwide. Right. One of the biggest industries impacted, but I, but one of the fastest to, to recover. Okay. I think, too. Good. You know? How did that, I mean, what was that like for you guys? Because, I mean, you were, I'm sure, connected through many different layers of yeah. tourism and travel and stuff. What was that like for you guys? Well, you know, at first we had, we had no idea what the future looked like, and none of us did. We were worried about our own health and mm -hmm. families and, and, like, everyone else, you know, wondering what, what's next, but... We knew we had to stop inviting people to come visit. You know, the, 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 the wise and the, the proper thing to do, you know, the, the right thing to do was to just tell people to, to stay home. Mm -hmm. And when the time is right, to come, come back. Yeah. You know, when, when, it's, when it's safe to travel and when we're, we're ready for you again. But yeah. we weren't. It was the right thing to do was to stop all that. So all of our messaging moved to, to kind of a dreaming, escape it all, Lots of video. We repurposed a lot of video to show what it could look like in the future when it's time to come. But don't quit thinking about us. But, you know, and, and it's video can be a very powerful medium. You know, film has evokes real strong emotions. Yeah. So our campaign actually was written up in the Washington Post because we were so early getting in with this campaign. They were like, wow, this is a destination that's that realizes we need to tell everybody to stay home right now. Okay. And focus on what can be in the future. And then we shifted to encouraging um, locals to shop local and to support all the local restaurants and yeah. the, the businesses that were suffering so much without mm -hmm. visitors. So we dedicated, you know, most of 2020 and 2021 to that. Yeah. And, and stayed in touch. We created a holiday shopping guide. We did a spring guide and a whole campaign, you know, targeting people that live here. Just maybe get around. Maybe if you have never been to Whidbey and you're on Camino, mm -hmm. go over and see that side of the county yeah. and vice versa, encouraging people from Camino, from Whidbey Island to come over to Camino yeah. and explore their own yes. backyard, basically. Yeah. 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 So Nice. So then how was that like, as you guys kept going through that, when do you guys kind of turn that corner as far as kind of looking at like, okay, it's time to start getting the word back out there? Well, it's, it recovered much faster than we expected. So people okay. started coming and, and they didn't, they didn't not come. Even when we <laughs> were saying maybe you shouldn't, they, they were, <laughs> there was a lot of um, reasons for people wanting to, for mental health reasons, to, you know, to get out of the city maybe yeah. and be in open air and on a beach and in a forest. And so we recognized that people did come and they stayed mostly in the vacation rentals, the short-term rentals. Yeah. And would bring their whole family and maybe stay for two weeks yep. and bring the dog and, you know, work from, from that site and just be away from, from all those four walls of a small condo. Mm -hmm. And they were used to going to work every day and suddenly being, you know, trapped in a place that just didn't feel Very right. Small. Yeah. Mental health. I think people really needed to get out. Yeah. And we have a lot of open space. Yeah. So what we found is people came. And what we found is they kept coming into the visitor centers once they were opened again and asking for trails. And the people in those centers were just sending them to all the same trails. Okay. And so they began to be overloved. And so we heard, we listened to what residents said, and 
they said, please don't keep doing that. Yeah. So, so we just came out with a new trails guide. Okay. Actually, just this week. Oh, cool. So it's very brand new. It's going to make it out before the 4th of July weekend. Okay. That are 24 trails off the beaten path. Okay. In Whidbey and Camino Islands. And it's a free guide. And it has a lot of stewardship messaging in it. You know, from Recreate Responsibly and Leave No Trace. And we worked with a lot of our um, allied partners, like the Whidbey Camino Land Trust and Soundwater Stewards. Yeah. And we've got the the Camino Island Trails folks, and it's just this is a great collaboration. Yeah. And we think it'll be it'll be helpful to you know send people out to to new trails, maybe yeah. see what you haven't seen before instead of the same old, same you know Cama Beach and Deception Pass Bridge and you know some of the same iconic loved places mm-hmm. double bluff beach you know. they right. were just getting a little overcrowded so yeah um we're not the only destination that had to step back and rethink our messaging and yeah. it happened worldwide yeah really in the tourism industry people thought you know what we've been saying may not be the right message to send because residents themselves came to us and and said let's rethink tourism yeah you know, let's plan ahead for the future we don't feel like this is a sustainable model where people just come, 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 and then they just, you know, day trip it, or they they don't really understand or appreciate the culture. Right. You know, they just come and they have a checklist. You know, I'm going to see these three things. And, yeah. You know, and then I'm going to hurry and get a, get crabbing out there, and then I'm going to hurry home. And <laughs> we've um, we're really rethinking tourism as a whole. Yeah. It's a whole new strategic plan for right. us. Right. Yeah. So how, where did that come about? Um, I know there's, you've been working on this uh, transformational travel. Where did that originate from? <laughs> That's an interesting story, but we had a vloggers. So what you do, right? Yeah. But we, these were, were video vloggers who came from the Midwest out mm-hmm. to do a story on the islands. And they told me about the Transformational Travel Council. That okay. was fairly new. And the Transformational Travel Council is an international organization, but a lot of the leaders are based in Seattle. Okay. And the Northwest seems to be really cutting edge, and a lot of key people are right here. So I contacted them and, and got to know them and found that I actually knew some of them already from a different part of my background. Okay. And um, took one of their courses. It was an ally, um, it was kind of a deep immersion class of 14 weeks of, you know, four hours a week of a, a really intensive self-examination. It was kind of tough because yeah. it was really a lot to unpack, you know, and you're really getting into your own um, beliefs and um, maybe some of your stereotypes and, you know, really having to work on on how I see the world yeah. and how I want the world to see us yeah. as a destination. So went through that course and said, you know what, I'm going to ask our county if they want to do this too. And okay. went back to our tourism committee and presented the idea because there are other ways of doing a strategic plan. Yeah. And there are more traditional ways. Yeah. You hire a consultant who comes in and you do a few surveys and have a few group meetings and town halls and, and then they present you a plan. Yeah. This isn't like that. Okay. And it's slower and it's harder. Yeah. So <laughs> I think because it's slower and harder, it will result in a better product. Yeah. Um, something that we won't just put in a drawer you know, and move on to the next strategic plan. This will actually be reinventing tourism, okay. how we see it now. Yeah. And, and it's going to take some shifting in understanding what we all value. Mm-hmm. What are those 
what can we agree upon right. that are the, the things that we mean the most to us? Um, what are some of the challenges we want to address? And what matters to residents first? Yeah. So it's really focused on community-based instead yeah. of um, just how can we get them here? Right. You know, them. You know, yeah. we want to take their money. It's, it's not even measured in dollars. Success right. will be measured differently. Um, it'll be travelers that are coming, that are really guests in our home. Yeah. You know, and when you're a guest in a home, you do behave differently. Yeah. So we're, we're going to treat them more like a guest in a home. And there's expectations, too, that yeah. maybe they'll help clear the table. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it could be there's an opportunity to work on a trail or to help at a cider festival where mm -hmm. actually the tourists, you know, visitors, visitors themselves will, you know, be involved in something like a cleanup of a beach. Yeah. Um, rather than just be the ones who mess up the beach and leave. Right. You know, so it's a new way of thinking and it'll it'll. It'll take some time. Yeah. You know, I don't think it'll happen um, by the end of the summer. We yeah. really have just gotten started yeah. and um, had to dig into our own selves first. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. We, um, as you look into psychology and stuff, we like to think, at least I do. <laughs> I don't know if everyone does this. We like to think that we're unique and that we think creatively and that we are our own person. And then when you start doing these psychological tests and you start understanding the, how the brain works, you realize most people, including myself, are like sheep. And so if a certain few things happen, you fall into that track of mind and you just do that thing. Um, and so like when it comes to tourism and when you're visiting somewhere, you almost have this mindset of like, I kind of what you were talking about before, like they're lucky to have me. Like here I am, like I'm visiting your area, I'm going to see what you guys have to offer. And you don't have that same mindset of like, I'm going to have to see, you know, I, I'm going to see this trail later on. You're like, I'm going to use it once and then I probably won't be back. So you don't think it matters if you do a little bit of damage along the way. Not that you try and purposely do, but just being there. Well, there's like a moose on the loose is what I call it. When I, you know, I'm like, I'm in Leavenworth and I've gotten away from home and I'm, I'm you know, I'm just yes. going to be someone else. I'm going to sing in a bar or something, you know, what I never would do. But, you know, that's fine to some degree. That's okay yeah. to feel good. Yes. And, and people need to feel good. And I don't want to say that we expect everyone to come here and work now you know, <laughs> on your vacation. You know, sometimes you just need to lay by a pool and yes. just you know, decompress. Um, but it's, a, it's learning more about maybe who the musicians are that play in that bar or, you know, caring about the cider that's being served that's a local and asking questions and, and learning more about the place you're at instead yeah. of just, what can you do for me? Yeah. And it actually starts before you take the trip. Okay. So you should research where you're going and understand a little bit more about the history, mm -hmm. um, you know, the native tribes, the, the what was the economy before tourism, or you know, what what's going on in this place? Yeah. Not just what what show is on. Right. You know, what 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 can they do for me? Yeah. It is. Um, it's a bigger. It's a bigger three-step process. So it's a before, during, and after the trip. Yeah. As a visitor, to have okay. a real transformation transformational experience, you have to travel with intention. So it's being intentional. And the, the Transformational Travel Council has a really nice travel journal. Okay. That it leads you through this process for yourself. And I'll make sure you get one so you have a chance to see 
some of the things I'm talking about. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Um, so with that then, what has that been looking like for you uh, within the uh, Whidbey and Camino Islands tourism? Yeah, yeah. So, so where does the rubber meet the road kind yeah. of thing, right? So we have experienced creators, um, like kayak companies and, and such, and you know we're talking to them about what what questions can maybe they ask people before they, you know, as they're registering for their kayak trip? You know, what is what are you hoping to learn on your kayak trip? Or and then following up after, you know, what did you learn and what do you think? And and just maybe taking things a little different direction. It's there's something called regenerative travel. Right? There's, okay. There's transformational travel, and I like to say regenerative tourism. Okay. That's our goal, is to move to something regenerative, where sustainable tourism, people have heard a lot, and mm -hmm. that's sort of like do no harm. Yeah. Regenerative is, I'm actually going to improve a place mm. from my visit. You know, so it's, it's regenerative is, is giving back, it's making something grow and thrive, it's a holistic way of looking at travel. Yeah. Um, it's really exciting. And if you've never heard of these terms, you should look them up on, you know, look around on the internet and read about them. We also have dedicated a whole part of our website that's, um, you know, WhidbeyCamanoIslands.com Island, transformational travel. Okay. Basically, it would be the slash transformational travel. Or you could just go to our website and put in transformational travel in the search. Okay. And it'll lead to a whole bunch of, of articles and stories and case studies and what other destinations are learning. You know, Hawaii in particular, um, islands tend to be very vulnerable. And as, yes. as islands, we have our own set of, of issues and challenges. So on a global level, we're only the second destination to do this transformational program, by the okay. way, <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so okay. officially. So Willamette County in Oregon yeah. is the first, and then we're second. So um, as an island, I think other islands are looking very closely at us. Yeah. And we'll be asked to, to present a case study, you know, at international conferences, and, and uh, you know, we'll be helping to guide the world in a new direction. I think it's pretty fascinating, and it's a lot of responsibility. Um, so other examples of regenerative is not only volunteering, but I think it's also just that mindset of, of grace, you know, of, of caring, of not just being so in a hurry, mm -hmm. you know, that rushing through. Um, right now in Venice, I was just reading a story today about the challenges they're having in Venice, Italy, and, and yeah. the restrictions they may have to put in place to try to just control how people are viewing them. Yeah. And, and you know, jumping in the water and, you know, you know, I don't know, just sort of desecrating the place, maybe not even intentionally or grabbing wildlife and for a selfie, you know, that just not thinking straight because they're the moose on the loose, right? Yeah. That's what I, you know, so we <laughs> I gotta, that mindset. I, I gotta remind them just to, just to, um, you know, you're in someone's home, and we want you to come back. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we love that you're here, Yeah. you know, and we, we want you to come back. But there are some rules of engagement. Yeah. And it's us, up to us to tell visitors what those are. Yeah. You know, and decide for ourselves what those are. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, 
because we had this huge rubber band effect of COVID shutting everything down, I feel like, um, you know, we already already had a generation of, you know, all of us are kind of this like immediate gratification and that kind of style. Um, but all of a sudden everything was turned off, like the faucet was turned off. And now that the faucet got turned back on, even now, like in 2022, I still feel this almost uh, fear of like, well, what if everything disappears again? And so like, whether it's camping or camping sites or trails or restaurants or anything, I mean, there's the shortages and like computer chips, stuff like that. So like you get that when you get the opportunity to, to get something, it doesn't matter the price. They're just, they're throwing themselves at things. So whether that's experiences or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you still have this crazy influx of people just vying for this spot for a campsite or a trail. Are you guys still seeing that? Do you feel like? Well, they, I've heard it called revenge travel. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, And it's what you're, you remind me of like when people are hoarding water or toilet paper or something, right? <laughs> yes. Now they're just like, I've got to get all this travel in, right. all this experience, my revenge travel trip. Yeah. Um, we are seeing some of it, but you know, there's only so many uh, places to stay in our islands. Right. And that does naturally limit um, that. And then over on Whidbey Island, we've had a shortage of ferry staff workers. So the ferries themselves have been running a little little wonky you know yeah. it might be a three-hour wait when it shouldn't be you yeah. know or a, you know only one ferry all day long instead yeah. of two on a route that people were accustomed to so that's kind of self-regulating in a way <laughs> um but i think maybe our messaging is going to help too yeah. when we explain to people sort of what what they might want to see and do here and maybe a farmer's market you know um take the time to to cook a meal and, you know, to enjoy it with your family on the beach or something, not just uh, use us up, you know. And I, I think part of the challenge we found is that the worker supply, you know, that shortage of yeah. restaurant workers and hotel uh, people to clean rooms and to turn them over faster and stuff. Yeah. It's just creating a slower pace and sometimes impatience. Yeah. Mostly from locals, though. Right. I think I feel the visitors tend to get it, um, but not always. They're, it's... It's just a matter of, I think, setting expectations. Right. And letting people know, hey, if you're going to arrive late, restaurants might be closed on Camino. You yeah. know, and, and just need to plan ahead. And, yeah. And have a be, plan B. Have a plan B, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so then just kind of finalizing that, what are your kind of hopes over the next five years for Island, for Whidbey and Camino in tourism? You know, my hope is that we'll be, we'll be a destination that people who live here appreciate visitors mm -hmm. and see tourism as a force for good. Yeah. And instead of feeling threatened or angry, frustrated by visitors, they will recognize that um, they're not just a dollar sign. You know, they're, they're here as part of this global family and you know we all live on this planet together and they're here living here for a while yeah where they are is you know this is their life that's week on this island and i just think i i hope we can communicate in a way that visitors really start to really embrace um visitors and not see that as a threat yeah or that we need to you know tear deception past bridge down right <laughs> you know and close the bridge behind me because 
many people actually who moved to these locations on the islands were visitors once. Because mm -hmm. um, they say that, you know, tourism is the first date of, of um, economic development. You know, it's the beginning. They yeah. come... They come a couple times. They want to buy a house here. Yeah. They're talking to a realtor. They're moving their family here. And in some cases, they've, I think some people forget that that's how they got here. Yeah. <laughs> they were visitors too. Right. And, um, you know, we just all can, we can all coexist. Yeah. And it'll be, I think, a great, a great outcome from this, ultimately. I do believe we will get there. I like that you said five years because there's some impatience with those of us participating in this, hoping, you know, by November, you know, we can have the strategic plan or a destination marketing, um, no, it's destination management action plan. Okay. Uh, destination marketing is not the word anymore. It's destination management yeah. action plan. Yeah. A DMAP, they're called. We're hoping to have it done by the end of this year, but I had a conversation yesterday where someone said, what if we don't hit that deadline? Is that so bad, or is right. that maybe smart? You yeah. know, to pull back, slow it down, um, make sure everyone has a voice yeah. at the table. So yeah. it may take longer. But yeah. I don't know. I think, I think it's worth the wait. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, uh, you know, especially when you're planning something so far in the future, um, for, for, you know, a lot of st strategic plans are like for a five-year mm -hmm. window. Yeah. And obviously a lot can change in a five-year window. Sure can. And so taking those extra, a bit of time to just make sure, is this really where we want to see ourselves? Is this really what's important to us? What do we value? Yeah, yeah that's like one of the first questions. And yeah. um, the, the answers are, are wide-ranging. Mm -hmm. And then some are just always the exact same thing. Yeah. And I love that. When we can get to the common ground, then, then we know where to focus our energy. Yeah. You know? Very yeah. cool. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Well, you know, I just purchased a book called Maestro, mm -hmm. and it's an it's a interesting story about leading by listening, and it's, it's a compelling and insightful book about a how to bring the most out of your team, how an orchestra leader brings all of the musicians to yeah. create a beautiful song. I mean, it's fascinating. He's a masterful teacher. Um, it's just, it's captivating. And I, it's, if you can find it, you might have to download it. Okay. But it's selling fast. And it's in um, one of the groups that I'm in, it's a book club book. And, yeah. And I got it and I'm like, wow, this is a great book. Nice. It's a music paradigm. It's actually a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> the music paradigm. Looking okay. at music. And I love music. So yeah. To see it as a as a force for good, and it's nice to hear. So. Yeah, very cool. I'll have to check that book out. Yeah. All right. Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Well, uh, he's going to be embarrassed, but I'm going to say David Baumeister okay. of the Northwest Agriculture Business Center. Yeah. And I think he is retiring this year, and I he's just been a fan, fantastic leader in, in the agricultural world in the Northwest, and, and he's... Um, the one who had the vision for the Cider Association and many, many other programs. So he's, he's the, the guy who's making things happen and, and really influenced me a lot. Nice. Yeah. All right. This is a fill-in-the-blank question. It's, I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. 
hold an Oscar for best screenplay, <laughs> best original screenplay. So. Awesome. <laughs> All right. And you, you still have plenty of time for that. So it's oh. my, it's my last, my third act. There we go. Yeah. All right. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? boy um you know i didn't haven't thought about that yeah yeah so i think have you interviewed the cider maker on the island uh cory yeah yeah oh you have okay yes. well i would like to find somebody else who's a maker or a um you know a grower maybe a farmer yeah if you haven't done all the farmers yet yeah i've done a couple of them or the yeah. bee, bee maker the uh, honey Yes. Yeah. I, so I had both uh, Kameno honey, and then I also did ah. cat's paws, and they're it was so cool because they're um, they're so different in how they yeah. their the, you know yeah. uh, philosophy of how they raise bees. Um, but we sell both their honeys here, and they're both great honeys. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I will. I'll be sure to reach out to to get more ideas if you think of some. Yeah, I think I think the artisans um, are really the ones who are are the most creative and thinking thinking. Um, Thinking in ways that we don't. Yeah. You know, they just see the world differently. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, actually, someone from the Transformational Travel Council might be interesting. Okay. If you wanted to talk to someone um, at a, you know, from the Seattle, that would be interesting because they're looking at our, our two islands from a different fresh set of eyes. And it might be interesting to see what Jake Halpert has to say. Okay. So I'm going to say Jake Halpert. Okay. Very cool. All right, and lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? So many things, so many things. And one that's probably the most pragmatic is I would say put $100 away every month and start now. Yeah. Start at 20 because it moves, life flips by so quickly. Um, the years go so much faster than you ever expect. And that nest egg will, will be, give you power and give you freedom. Yeah. And give you the ability to support programs and projects that you love and care about. So it's it's a good thing to do. Start early in life saving money. Yep. So you're not totally dependent on the next thing. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been fun and been I learned a lot more about like I've been hearing about the transformational travel, but I've learned a lot more about it now. Yeah. So Great. Well, you're going to hear more, too. Yes. Thank you. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Sherry White for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to tomatocommons.com slash podcast. That's tomatocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Well, a big thank you to Sherry White for joining us on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to her podcast. I can't keep it going. <laughs>